Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Shambles and this week is the first of a number of specials that we recorded at the Latitude Festival. So that means this episode comes with our standard festival disclaimer that there is uh, some background noise at various points, or in fact at all points throughout this episode. There are some bands playing, there are people chatting, there are other events taking place on the speakeasy stage. So you will hear some bits and pieces going on in the background throughout this episode, but that all just adds to the festival vibe. And as usual, thanks to all our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to become one of those, you can go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. And a reminder that we will be at the Edinburgh Fringe very soon from August 17. Also on the 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd and 23rd doing six live Book Shambles shows up there. They are all free entry at Bannerman's at 5.30pm on those dates. We'll be announcing the guests for those events very soon. So make sure if you're at the Fringe, come and see us or maybe come up to the Fringe uh, and see us and lots of other stuff as well. Lots of uh, Book Shambles guests uh, will be up there doing shows. Robin, obviously, uh, Deborah Francis White is up there. Dean Burnett is up there. Matt Haig, I believe, is up there as well. Lots of people are affiliated with Shambles. So make sure you check all the appropriate websites for that. And hopefully we will see you at one of those shows. But for now, please enjoy this first episode from the Latitude Festival. Right, here we go. So we're just... Uh, hello, welcome to uh, Latitude uh, Festival Book Shambles Extra. Uh, I am with uh, the poet and host of Radio 3's The Verb, Ian McMillan, and also I am with Luke Wright. And we'll get straight into it. In fantastic mix of uh, poetry there. Poetry about uh, the nature of kind of gender conformity, poetry about Frida Kahlo, uh, poetry about from the poet laureate Luke Wright, uh, um, about, about the nature of, of what it is to understand being English. What is the importance of public poetry to you? I think often people assume that poetry is going to be a thing that you read on your own in a garret and you mumble it to yourself. But of course, as we know, the start of poetry was people probably shouting to a company dancing way, way back before language was invented. They shout to a company dancing, they do it as a collective thing, they'd, they'd raise their voices. And then when printing got invented, people thought, actually, we can keep this to ourselves. I, I blame, I really do blame the Romantics. I think the Romantic poets saw that Romantic vision of the poet in the garret on their own. Whereas really what we tap into here at Latitude is that idea of the public poet, the poet shouting in public, the poet making their voice heard. So the verb was just an example of that. And what was great was to look out at that audience and see all those people enraptured by, as you said, many different voices, many different ways of presenting the word in the air. So were you never, because I have to admit, you know, when I was a teenager, and I'll ask Luke this as well, but that, that idea of the doomed poet, that looking at the famous painting of Thomas Chatterton and going, oh, that could be me, and then you start trying to live that life, and it's really painful, and you feel sick a lot of the time, and you get terrible headaches and constipation. So, you know, that, but that moment, was, was there ever in you, if you always wanted to go, I want to spread this poetry, or was there a little bit of you at a point where... There was, was, I remember as a young man, yes, as a very young man, that Thomas Chatterton portrait, and... A fantastic painting of Dylan Thomas with his curly hair. And I'd read, I read the letters of Dylan Thomas before I read his poems. And I thought, gosh, this is the fella. Then I read the poems. And then I thought, I want to be that kind of poet. But at the same time, I was a show-off. And I was going around doing bits of comedy in folk clubs. And I thought, how can I 
get the two, how can I meld the two together? I thought there'd always be a part of me that would sit there reading, writing poems that nobody ever read, and there'd always be this other part of me that was somehow less profound that actually stood up in public. And then I realised that the two can be the same thing, that to stand up in public and perform your poems can be part of it. So I've, all, I've always enjoyed showing off. I've always enjoyed being a, being a show-off. I've always enjoyed trying to make people laugh or trying to make people have some kind of reaction. So I'd be terrible as a kind of Chatterton-style poet, I think, I realise now. Um, Luke, what about you? I can't imagine you have it. So I'll well, I, I, um, I think um, uh, the... The idea of putting your poems on a page is a much more exposing, much more public thing than actually performing. This is a this is ephemera, you know. It, it comes and it goes, you know. If you put a word out wrong or out of place, no one's really going to notice. On the on the page, it's there, staring, screaming at you in black and white. So yeah, no, it, it seems to me a, a much braver thing to to, to put, put your poems down and print to exist forevermore. Um, but as far as the the, the the lonely poet, no, I I didn't like that. I thought I was uncool. It was only one I saw, and, and I was into bands like you know Blur and Pulp, and I loved their lyrics. Only and I wrote lyrics without music because I couldn't play a guitar. Um, as only when I saw John Cooper Clark, I was like, oh, you can just do your lyrics on stage with some gags in between. Perfect for me. It was the perfect job. You know, I, I, I can do this. I think. You know? I was going to um, ask now. In you, you, is it Barnsley you're originally No, I still from? live there. Somebody right. said to me, do you maintain a base in Barnsley? <laughs> yeah, I call it a house. <laughs> well, I wondered again about poetry. Is the poetry we just heard there from... from uh, 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 is it the Octavia... Octavia Collective, yeah. Octavia Collective, which is fantastic. Is, at the moment, in places like Barnsley, you know, that, that's a, a key area to look at incredible divisions mm-hmm, that, that are going on. Yes. Um, and, and I've seen certain comedians here who I think have been very aggressive towards anyone who's voted Brexit mm-hmm. and I think and how important that that moment of sometimes with poetry finding that connection with mm. disparate groups of people people who may well you, a lot of areas there, there is not common ground but yeah. finding that common ground I think somehow poetry can do that which in a way that anger in a in a pub debate couldn't somehow an image or a piece of a rhythm or a bit of euphony or somehow the way you shape a sentence can 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 strike a spark that can make people think. I think that is that can make it do. I think maybe rather than shouting at each other, we could actually sit and write poems to each other and and, and take it that way. It's, it's a utopian thing to say, but but I always try that. I always try and say, look, let's let's talk about let's write a poem about this. Let's think about this in poetry, and 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 then it, I think poetry leads to deeper thought. I think that's the thing. That's why I like poetry so much. It can it can lead you to think in ways that you wouldn't have thought of before. Uh, which doesn't suggest that I still get heckled from cars in Barnsley, but that's all right. I'm used to that. I, I was I was just to add to that. I, um, uh, yes, no, no one ever starts a poem knowing exactly how they're going to finish it, knowing all the places they will go. Only only the language can take you there. You need the language to have the thought. The tooth, you know. Uh, but interesting to say that about uh, the pub conversation. In many ways, a poem is more visceral and, and more about a way of... So if you reason debate, like an essay or something like that, or even a blog post, you have to sort of weigh up and present a, a general truth. The great thing about a poem is it, it can be... So I have a poem on my show yesterday, and um, one of my friends said to me, oh, God, it's quite a sad poem. She said, you don't really feel like that, do you? 
I said, well, no, not all the time. I wouldn't get anything done if I did. But, you know, but, but in the moment, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really felt that desolate and, 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 that, and that sad. And that's great. Your poem doesn't have to be the whole reason's truth once you've slept on it. You know, like, it, it can be in the moment, which is why I think it's, it's good for writing about things that make us angry and, and politics and stuff like that, because they, they, they can be visceral. But as you say, they, they, you have to then sink deeper. But the language the, forces you can you then see. stumble on an image. Or, a, or a, a metaphor or a simile that would make you think, I hadn't thought of that before. And somehow that goes beyond reasoned argument, I think. Yeah, it's getting, it's getting the frontal lobes to work, isn't it? it? Is, that's that's what it fast is. brain, slow brain, poetry yeah, brain. Yeah, yeah. I always thought um, that... Um, uh, no, I've completely lost my train of thought. Carry that's on. your beautiful thought. statement. That, that was uh, one of uh, Luke's haikus. <laughs> Lovely little bit of work there. Um, I'll just, one more thing, just quickly, but again, about poetry and its importance. Where I, I went, I was in um, Leicester Prison a while ago. I went in there, and, and it was an amazing moment where, where one of the people who was there, um, they had to all suddenly be taken like back to cells, and this guy just went, oh, can I just read in my poem, please? Can I just read in my poem? And there was a guy who has spent a lot of his life going back, you know, all of them short-term, but back and back and back. And that period of time where he sits in the library and someone has said to him, you can write poetry, has given him a man who was probably in his 40s the first chance where he's suddenly going, I've got another voice. How do, we, how, do we make, how do we try and find for a lot of those people who are people who feel excluded or feel that they're, they're social group? Oh, no, God, you're writing poetry. I think poetry, in prisons particularly, is one of the few places where... A working-class man can sell up and write poems, and it has a kind of currency in prisoners. Often people can write, people will say to them, could you write this love poem for my wife? Could you write this poem for my kids? So somehow, in prisons in particular, poetry has a kind of weight. And I think that, you know, the, most people, I think most people, if you scratch the surface, will have a go, will, will have a go at writing poems. They often use me, and I think Luke probably as well, when you go into workshops, we use this kind of battering rams. We like to go into places where people don't write poems. And sometimes it doesn't work, but quite often, if you're writing a group poem or a collective poem, or you're just getting somebody to have a go for the first time, there's something fantastically exciting about that. Really, so I think everybody can have a go. It's empowering as well, but for young people particularly, I noticed that when I was a special guest at a kid's slam the other day. And that's the thing I noticed, is these kids not only writing their poems and then getting up on stage and reading their poems saying this is me and, and, and having having a bit of ownership over themselves yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it does because again bold it's bold putting something down on a page in black and white it's very bold thank you both very much the verb the, the episode you just said 15th of September yes, isn't it I think then, yeah. and uh, Luke you're still on tour I'm touring with Frankie Barr yeah, oh, up until December yeah. yeah brilliant thanks very much thank you Okay. Hello, um, I'm Rachel Long um, and I am at Latitude with Octavia Collective, which consists of. I'm Sunaina Vergava, a proud member of Octavia. Victoria Adequabili, Sarah Lasoye, I'm Amina Jamal. But uh, the first thing, because it was a fascinating story in the verb, where, where, the t- where Octavia comes from, where, uh, why you are the Octavia Collective. It's always like going back to the root of the idea and then it's always very hard to kind of unpick it um, and all the things at that time. Um, Mainly, uh, so Octavia Butler, the uh, African-American science fiction writer. Um, And people often are like, yeah, but she's not a poet, is she? Um, You know, poetry is a state of mind, as Anne Carson said. Um, And and also uh, the Roman Octavia the Younger and, and... kind of classical um, understandings of what kind of womanhood is 
um, and then seeing by taking that name if that's kind of can challenge that uh, or maybe not so that it challenge it challenge it and that idea of poetry giving you the voice I mean uh, you print you saying that three people you know three there's there's so many different things that you are and you don't want to be in terms of uh, you know you don't want to go well I'm that and I'm that and I'm that you are also a separate being as well that moment of saying well poetry might be the best way of expressing to people sometimes people who may well even want to go I don't really know you know I don't know if this is my kind of thing poetry seems to be have an ability to cut through to people who may sometimes have a level of of, perhaps hostility to ideas yeah definitely I feel like I've been in workshops where I've had certain poets tell me, well, in no explicit words, but that my poems are not poems. Um, but that's just a list of rules that they wrote themselves, and that is all their opinion. It's all subjective. And I think poetry, there are no rules, to be honest. Um, we all write completely different. We all have different styles. We all write about different things. Um, I did mention that I, yeah, there are there are different parts of my personality that I highlight um in moments where i'm feeling it the most i guess um but it's all it's all part of me and none of my poems are the same none of them touch on the same thing none of of them have the same voice really um and i write from different voices as well so i feel like octavia encapsulates that beautifully because um not just poets like i I'm going to be a doula, so I'm going to be, I did have a baby. Um, Sinead is a, an astrophysicist, she's yeah. doing a PhD. Um, Sarah's just graduated. We all have different lives, and it's not poetry isn't our start and our end. Yeah. Do you find sometimes, like the, the Frida Kahlo poem, where it, it, the three parts of that, that there's, there's moments that perhaps you come back to a poem and you go, oh, I've just realised some of who I am, that I've sometimes found when writing things. It's only when I've, I've put them down, and even if they've been published or whatever, when I come back and I'm, I pick up the book and I go, oh, now I, that story was telling something that I didn't know was going on mm, inside yeah. me. There was some, something unconscious was coming out from that. Yeah. I, I think, I think um, like, what's happened to me before is where I've written something, and it's only been when someone else identified something that they saw but I realised that it's almost become like a sort of psychoanalytic thing where they've read something that I was that I didn't know I was trying to express, but I've gained that from their reading, and I think that can be really interesting. And do you, I mean, is it, does it normally start with, I mean, astrophysics? You're doing, doing astrophysics. So, so that, I mean, I, I've been trying to write some poetry about things like the Big Bang and uh, about the, the atoms that we're made of and what those atoms are made of. And that, just to find different ways of communicating, do you find that there's a crossover where sometimes they hear our beautiful ideas about the nature of the universe yeah. and maybe people are not going to go to the science show, yeah. but they're going to listen to the poem and then go, yeah. maybe I will go to the science show. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, there is a lot of crossover. I, I um, baffled a lot of people by liking physics and poetry because people couldn't find the, the bit in the Venn diagram where there's the overlap. But um, I think there is. There's a lot of there's a lot of dreaminess that kind of comes into uh, looking at something that's happening so far into the past. Like when you look through your telescopes, there's a weird kind of nostalgia involved in the whole process, which I think is a, is a shared experience uh, for poets and physicists, really. Um, so, and there's a lot of poets that have done this already. I've done it really well. So um, Adrian Rich has a really beautiful space-based poem called um, Planetarium. 
and that's rooted more in like the experience of being a woman astronomer in particular so it has the politics in it but it's also captures all that dreaminess too tracy smith i think tracy k smith is your is is your go-to her collection life on mars uh, basically describes the first moments of the big bang as a gigantic party um and she does it beautifully like there is a lot of there's a lot to be learned from either discipline and i am experimenting with crossing both of them over more and more as time goes on do you so so do you find, can I tell, in terms of approaching poetry, of realising that's what you want to do, I wondered who, if individually you have separate moments of just thinking, actually this is the best way that I, I want to communicate this particular idea, and when you felt poetry was acceptable, because we, I was just talking with uh, Ian before about when I went into a prison, and for a lot of people in prisons, poetry becomes this, suddenly if, if you can do poetry, people say, oh, can you write a poem to my partner? Can you write a poem? And, you know, very often, certainly, you know, big burly you know men who never thought never felt they were in the environment where they can communicate in that way suddenly go oh, I can communicate like this and I am allowed to use that imagination and I wonder you know poetry very often sorry this is a really long question uh, but poetry is some people will still see it as an aloof even though there's so much great public poetry there would still be that moment if you did say oh I'm writing some poetry oh yeah and I wondered at what moment in your lives you had, you had that this is what I'm going to do this is what I want to when it goes beyond being the secret I was going to say I think that point you made of like having an idea of poetry being this aloof abstract like separate thing from from your own writing or your journaling or whatever you are creating um, it only really became like tangible for me once I saw women of colour writing and like read women of colour writing and I was sort of really struck by the fact that I'd never you know I did English GCSE and you know everyone in the class is reading the same writers so surely everyone should be equally as encouraged to continue it but I really wasn't I, would, I didn't see people who looked like me I didn't see topics that really not that they didn't all touch me in some way but like I didn't feel like it was my space until I saw people read who I felt in some way like on a level with and yeah I think that was a moment for me where I was like okay I can also enter this space and I can also like take take up that space as well yeah does anyone else want to add anything yeah no you covered it the moment the moment that it becomes not a secret yeah hmm I'm probably not the best, actually, I don't know why I've got this now, because I'm not, I'm not the best person. I was always like the weird bedroom kid that was fine. So that, that probably was a secret, but I was very, very happy doing that. And if I had to do anything else, I'd be very, very, very annoyed. Um, so I'm probably not the best person to be like... And here was my moment when I stopped being a big burly man in prison and decided that actually I could write poems. It wasn't always poems for me, though, maybe... I think actually yeah it was a, with a workshop actually I think that shows the strength of kind of workshops in in certain places that are not not academic so if you're talking about workshops in prisons and things like that um, workshops like community workshops uh, there's certain poetry organizations that have free workshops as well or specifically for young writers um, and I went to one of those and that's when I realized and it was with a, a beat uh, beat poet sorry he was talking we were talking about beat sorry no not not beat Duh. Uh, dub poet uh, Jim Binterbreeze um, and I I hadn't thought about poetry before seriously I was just writing bad novels um, but I did that workshop and I was like I want to do this I want to do this and there's something um, to go back to what you said before the way that it can encapsulate so much like for something so delicate and, and a kind of a 
you know, like a, a short form compared to some of the others, perhaps, how much it can hold, how much it can hold and continue to reveal. So it holds different things at different times and for and, and infinitely as well for different people. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating form. <laughs> Where can people find out uh, more uh, about, about what you're doing when you're when you're touring separately, when you're touring yeah, together? Where people can see you? Check us out. We have a website. OctaviaPoetryCollective.com. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have a website for a very long time. Yeah. We decided not to on purpose. Oh, you were being aloof. Wanted, like, yeah. Oh, it's meant to be. Yeah, we right. wanted yeah. to. Elusive. 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 Yeah. Elusive. Yeah. Elusive. Yeah. Being elusive. Um, and just wanted that space to lie, like, and 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 not have to document everything we were doing. Mm. Sorry, yeah, not having not having to document, not having to um, be accountable to anyone but ourselves or, or to each other, you know. And there's something that when you do have like social media and certain accounts, be like, Octavia writing about this, and then like having to like take a picture in meetings and stuff. It's like when that door's closed and we're in it, that's us yeah. and that's our time, and it doesn't have to be like kind of wider or have to be liked by anyone else apart from us um uh but we do have a website now because we did feel that it was important actually for everyone to know who was in octavia actually because when you do have a collective what can get lost i think it's just our capitalist uh, kind of brainwashing that you only kind of look at the person at at the top who leads it or who founded it and then not all of the essential parts like I, if i just came on my own then i wouldn't be here as octavia poetry collective i'd be here as a single person and that would be the same for all of us and um, so it's important i think to to have everybody there because every everyone in octavia is a, is a is a stunning poet in their own right and so having everyone kind of listed out all it says is about why poets that's it no pictures brilliant <laughs> thank you right the interview started. Bridget Aphrodite, you were born in Margate in 1980. Oh no, sorry, wrong thing. The uh, right, joined by uh, you were comparing Bridget Aphrodite, comparing on the speakeasy stage on Friday. Yeah. She got it over and done with very quickly. Um, how was that? Um, it was a really amazing new challenging experience because <laughs> you I didn't realise that you've just got to be such a rock you've got to be a rock haven't you for everybody that performs and talks and you've got to remember like you know posh names and not muck it up and not what was the hardest name did you have any actually they were quite easy but there was just a lot of them because the the panel the panel the panel chats so you know there's like five or five or six people that you sort of need to thank and after they get off stage I I often just go thank you very much Lucy, Siobhan and Mike ah or if I'm doing a science thing Dr. Lucy, Dr. Mike, Dr. Siobhan. Oh, I should have yeah. spoke to you beforehand, Robbie. Or wasn't that amazing? Make some noise, make some noise. Wasn't that amazing? Make some noise. That was amazing. Thank you so much, Gwendolyn. That's how you do it. Okay, good. Well, I'm, I'm pleased I got those tips from you. Next time yeah, I'm going to take that Make board. and make some noise, and then you just open and close your mouth in, in the proximity <laughs> of possible yeah. names. Okay, because I'm really dyslexic, really, 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 really dyslexic. So my memory, uh, short-term memory, is really... Uh, confused and bendy and um so and i always feel like i'm gonna get found out you know for being stupid um although i know dyslexia is not stupidity but you know it comes from school so it's just it was a really big challenge i was up all night making notes and then you know doing the poems and the music in between well that's so dyslexia and then you know the first time you played latin was probably the poetry tent wasn't it yes the poetry so 
how did you what, what how did you get involved in poetry? I mean, you know, so so was dyslexia an important part of that finding a way to create you know a rhythm of words and to get your meaning across? Absolutely. Uh, as a I was an absolute failure at school, but I used to write uh, little had friends that were did little chats like um, little uh, so I did a bit of MCing at parties and. Um, I realised that it came, the rhyme came, came quite naturally uh, f- for me, and uh, then yeah, late, I picked up a guitar a bit later on in life and put all the poems that I've been writing for years that didn't make loads of sense when you start putting together to music. And I, 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 as soon as I started doing that, I found like a way that I could make sense of the world and that the world could make sense of m- me because I felt like I was a bit. Um, Illegible is the word illegible. I couldn't. I was, nobody could read me before I started screaming down a mic. And you've got the first album coming out now. Yeah, it's just just been released. Uh, it's called My Beautiful Black Dog, and it's got twelve songs on it, and it's really good. It's produced by Nick Trepka, uh, music co-written by Quiet Boy, um, who's a man and a band. Uh, yeah, and it sounds really amazing. And you do uh, something that I love down in in Margate is Dreamland, which is there's an amazing. Have you seen the film that was done in mid 50s no. it was a film by Lindsay Anderson who went on to make If and Oh Lucky Man and it's just there's no narration or anything it's just 25 minutes lots of it just those like laughing sailors that you put you know sixpence in and it goes ha, 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 ha. and it's it's the original Dreamland amazing scary. yeah <laughs> but you're doing events because I've been to Dreamland a couple of times it's fantastic yeah uh, so excited about uh, that being open again and building up to the, the way it was but obviously in the future it's an incredible event space um, really like family friendly and yeah we're doing these variety shows over the summer there's three these gigantic like proper old school variety Variety shows um, where sweet female attitudes um, a headline in the first one. It's all female lineup for um, and in partnership with a brilliant ch- charity, uh, uh, a women's refuge charity called Oasis, local one. They're quite, they're quite, yeah, they're, they're really, really incredible what they do. And uh, Grace Savage, who's playing on the poetry arena today, booked her and Jada Nuka, the poet and an uh, actress um, from the the Donmar. Warehouse yeah. Shakespeare trilogy um, and uh, uh, hula hooping troupe. Um, Gemma Kearney's DJing, uh, yeah, ending with some garage. I'm comparing. Um, it's gonna be yeah. Jade Jade Adams is uh, uh, is is playing that one, and then the second one's for Pride. Uh, Gok Wan is headlining, DJing that one. Um, Jack Rook is doing it with me, and some incredible um, uh, drag queens and kings. Uh, you know, they, they, they work with Sink the Pink, Jacob Love, Rodent Decay, um, uh, Benjamin Butch, and then the last one, um, Get Your Own Back, is headlining the Gunge Tank and Diane Chorley, an incredible violinist, uh, Sam Brown. She's young, she's virtuoso, she's 18. I'm just like, wow. Yeah, it's going to be really, really fun. It's proper, proper variety. Um, so yeah, I can't. And you also you were saying when we were just talking near uh, the the table where they keep the t- teas and coffees um, about the Kent Ref- Refugee Action Group that you work with. Ah uh, yeah, um, so there's a great charity called, called Kent Refugee Action Network, and um, we've in in partnership with the Gulbenkian um, and Kent Refugee Action Network and the young people that um, uh, have found themselves in Kent uh, we've started like a theatre company called at the moment working title they've called it Cranfam but um, 
uh, that might change. Uh, we've done three three shows. Uh, they get more and more uh, fun and uh, exciting every time. And we're hoping we're hoping to the next project's going to be Forum Theatre, but we're hoping to put on a big show one day soon in the future every Monday we do we do that so you can you can uh, check it out online uh, on Kent Refugee Action Network and they do a performance once or twice a year come and support and all the money for the performances go to the incredible work that Cran do and um, yeah it's just so lovely they're, they're lovely they've got so many different skills from around the world um, they're really supportive they're like, like a theatre family really and you went to school with uh popular co-host of Book Shambles, Josie Long. Yes, we went to primary school together. She was at my sixth birthday party. We were firm mates. Um, yeah, we went to uh, St Paul's Cray Primary School uh, in St Mary's Cray and uh, it was really, really, really fun, friendly school, but it wasn't a school for learning. Um, so <laughs> Josie got taken out because I think she was like, <laughs> she got taken out of that school because she 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 wasn't being stimulated in her brain enough and I missed her when she went and um and I didn't learn anything but I had loads of us tap danced they let me tap dance everywhere around the school oh I really envy I I would love I have no uh I just can't do any of those things I've got I'm a bit hypervigilant so I'm always really aware of my legs and my arms so I can't do any sporting and tap dancing to me is when I watch things like I don't know if you've ever seen Takeshi Kitano who's a great kind of Japanese comedian and an actor and right director and it's just with this face like Robert Mitchum so it doesn't move or or watching uh, um, what's his name Gregory Hines and Sammy Davis Jr where Gregory Hines puts on Sammy Davis Jr's tap shoes in this kind of I now play shoes on the king and then the, when they oh I love all that stuff yeah, yeah. I'm envious we were doing a bit of tap dancing yesterday to the breeders weren't we well <laughs> I was trying to like shimmy you, yeah, shimmy you to you Robin you had a tap dancing whereas I, 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 I think I was I don't even like when they say clap along so I think how can I be out on this everyone else is a, the breeders were great weren't they really amazing yeah. so what what do you uh, I'll go, in, in terms of just quickly going back to the poetry when do when did you realise how important it was for you and, and what do you find in terms of because some, some of the things you've just said it seems one of the things you like is trying to make sure that more people know and have permission to like things that they might not think they're allowed to like or create things that they might think are not in their mind it's not what they should be doing yeah absolutely and uh, I, 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 uh, I feel like the work that I do with young people and um and when when I perform, I, yeah, I just want to tell people that it's okay, and you, yeah, the, the, the permission—that's exactly it. You've you've hit it, hit it there because people think it's a given, you know. Especially if you've been grown up in a background where you've got, you know, arty parents or parents that have always taken you to theatre, always always read poetry. That they they think, oh well, of course everybody knows that they can do whatever they want to do, but they don't. It's so it's so surprising that. To take your space, you do need those gatekeepers in life. Not gatekeepers, um, sort of people that go, oh, you're really good at her. You've got a real, you've got good, real wit about you. And actually, the way you speak is really poetical. And actually, this two sentences you've written, that's 
not everybody that doesn't come that easily to that many people um, uh, have you seen this like you do you're always recommending things and like always you know you opening opening different parts of the brain and, 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 and your life showing people different doors that you could go and get excited to if you choose to open them and um, so th- there's no subtlety with that with my work um, uh, and there's very much like the youth work that I do and the that my poetry punk poetry like wild gigs they, they 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 roll into each other because I always say on stage that take your space and 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 uh, uh, this is a space for you and accessibility with theatre and poetry and music uh, more music is more accessible than those than theatre and poetry I, I I feel so that's why I feel that genre cross is really important and also uh, when, as soon as you walk into a venue um, whenever I go and play at a venue it's really important that I speak to everybody that works there to make sure that latecomers are allowed you've got to be really friendly to people we have you know because the last show we made was about you know, had it's heart anxiety and mental health it's like people that are coming they might be late because that you know they might have taken them a long time to get out of bed and get here or have a wash or you know like and so 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 uh so to to to, to really communicate as much yeah. as possible to everywhere we go to make to make it really be, like a, a best experience for people and I'm always trying to get the young people that I work with to come and see my shows they don't always want to actually nah. but sometimes you know um, so yes yeah so uh, and also because um, I, I come from my um, half Greek half English but um, a restaurant background um, I found theatre uh, not music but theatre scary and posh um, and and uh, uh, I was really lucky that I met somebody very young well when I was like 17 that was like spoke really openly and like excited and sort of made me feel like I could have a go and uh, yeah so I, I want to be that gatekeeper for other people I hope that's brilliant your baby were good, weren't they? Oh my god, oh, they were so of that, good. The, uh, that bit where, because we're hanging around yesterday, in that moment where when you just talked before about recommending things, and I and I banged on to you about that, and then I thought, oh, I hope they haven't gone downhill. I hope something else has happened. And then that um, that that song, which is so great, "No Man's Big Enough for My Arms." Oh, that was so beautiful. It gave me Brilliant. the old uh, goose pimples and uh, te- teary eyes. <laughs> it was lovely, actually. Um, me, um, me, and my friend Hannah, she. She she really loved them as well, so that recommendation uh, uh, went on, and now we're we're going back home and downloading all the music. They were the best. I, I'm, I'm trying to. Th- I don't think I've had it musically this weekend. Yeah. What's yeah. what been the highlights for for you? Um, last night there was uh, that uh, a bay was yeah. I'm so I'm really grateful. That's how that's how we met and made friends yeah. yesterday. Thank <laughs> you very much for that recommendation. And then when came to the next thing that we accidentally met up with, it turned and you brought red wine and that sealed the deal. <laughs> I there. know. I know. I was worried. I was trying to get you too drunk. <laughs> that was very right. good idea. <laughs> um, last night there was a really incredible show called um, I think it was L- oh, Lil- Women of Grime or- well it was it was uh, Women of Grime was something to do with it but I think it was called Li- Little Li- Little Miss Little Miss right. I hope I'm not getting it wrong but we can try and uh, we can try and Trent, find out for later last night's speaking it was at 9.30 it clashed with the killers and I met I met the cast and the writer and director in on this in this green room during the day and um yeah, I think it was high rise. Uh, no, nine thirty at the 
here. Uh, no, after Sabrina. Oh, she's great. Yeah, we were, that's it. It was Little Miss Lady. Um, so I met I met all the cast and the director sat here just like being really fun. One of them was from Bromley, uh, went to a school down the road from from me. Um, and one was like out Sparko asleep and uh, woke him up and and then they told told me about the show. Um, it was kind of it was like music theatre um, and it was about women in grime and uh, the sort of barriers um, it, with a really simple but relatable story of like being pushed out of a, a industry by the boys in the industry and her her um, her prevailing and then having a really amazing amazing tune that does really 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 well called Houdini about the dude that got her pregnant and then and then scarpered and uh, he was furious and the song that the songs were amazing um, that it was pro- people were going like raving hard to it me and Sabrina Malfus were at the front just like eating Pringles and having a beer and just like enjoying it so much um, and also the piece was all round all around the arena so the actors came out and uh, shot like music videos over here and it was just exciting it's how theatre should be that's how theatre should be should be able to eat Pringles and dance and scream and react to what's going on um, but also had a really good message I really loved that uh, a, a Bay um, Grace Petrie was beautiful I, w- I watched her instead of Liam Gallagher yeah me too yeah. <laughs> um and uh, what else? What else? I think that was yeah. And breeders, good, was, yeah, yeah, breeders, breeders. Were fantastic. Um, thanks very much. Go to Dreamland. Go and check the listings. And uh, have you? You've got a website, haven't you, Bridget? I do. It's uh, BridgetAphrodite.co.uk. We're writing a new show called Parakeet. Download um, or listen to my album on Spotify. It's really good in your ear holes. And uh, yeah, it's been lovely hanging out with you this weekend. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, uh, introduce yourself. Hello, Book Shambles. My name is Johnny Bayfield, and I'm a young performer and writer. Uh, now, you were just telling me in the tent, you, you are today uh, in the guise of Fyodor Dostoevsky. I am, yes. Uh, which, as we've realised, is a terrible error on an extremely hot day. Um, <laughs> a smoking, a, a Soviet smoking jacket is not the best apparel for a day that is uh, <laughs> currently melting everyone. Yeah, that and a fake beard, really. Yeah, yeah. That, that builds, doesn't it? I think it's an asbestos beard. I think that is an asbestos beard. Um, you... Uh, you were telling me, so a few years ago, you're only 25 now, but a few years ago you wrote a piece of work yeah, and it gained a lot of attention. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened? Yeah, so basically, so I was, at the time I was 23, I'd started writing a novella, I've always written short stories and stuff, and then I started to do comedy and acting and theatre, so I started to go and do other stuff, but I've always come back to doing the literature, and then I wrote a novella which was called Pleasureland, and I, uh, I off the off the cuff one day just submitted that to uh, an award which was called the Sky Academy Arts Scholarship in association with the South Bank Show and Lord Melvin Bragg and I uh, who today I, you've talked about uh, a, a wonderful effigy of Melvin Bragg form, Melvin Bragg forming from uh, <laughs> the, the excrement of the overly literate well let's let's iron out that joke shall we so that the people know Oh yeah, you I, weren't let, saying that Melvin Bragg was a piece. Of I was shit. not what saying you were he saying was, was that the shit itself. Exactly. Would form in the... I did not say Melvin Bragg would be inhabiting the bottom of the yeah. Portaloos, Robin. I said that the, there would be so much culture happening today at Latitude Festival that the excrement at the bottom of the disgusting Portaloos would begin to take on the form of Melvin Bragg's 
wonderfully, uh, you know, weathered and knowledgeable face. I think we've cleared that one up. Yeah, it, it is quite kind of worrying to this idea of Radio 4 turd zombies that you've now created for... Uh, uh, we can only hope uh, the commissioners agree with that, and, yeah, uh, and well, a series comes along soon, right? So uh, anyway, uh, this is no, yeah, yeah. the Sky Arts Academy. I'm hoping that my turd zombies are going to happen. Yes. Uh, yeah, so so, so they, there was a lot of interest. Yeah, in so the I, Sky I, Academy. That was a big deal, and I won a bunch of money. And as I said to you, I mean, I was dirt poor before I won this. I mean, really, just in the pits. A young guy. I didn't have any. You know, I was doing stand up. I was doing bits of theatre and stuff. But you know, I was I was skin. And then I won this thing, and it has a lot of money to do a project. And, and part of that was doing the novel so I finished that and it just kind of it took off a little bit to a degree where I uh, got an agent very quickly you know after reading three chapters I signed with a very good literary agent and things were looking up and I had meetings with top publishers and it all was looking pretty swell for a while and I puffed I puffed up like a winter robin robin and uh, ended up thinking hey this is it I'm gonna have I'm gonna be a bloody novelist right now and then sadly we couldn't get the thing published but um but those relationships have been quite useful and they've said go and write a big novel and come back with it so that is what I have just done did you find though that you learned quite a lot about I mean that that is to ha- happen that young yeah and to have that moment of the expectation that you know to, to thanking the uh, you know the, the, the academy in uh, in, in both Sweden <laughs> and Norway probably and uh, yeah, the youngest the, man booker winner ever yeah yeah and that also seeing perhaps some of the bullshit that can occur around yeah it was pretty fascinating the whole thing actually which is why I think it was interesting to talk to you because of course you interview established interestingly established people so from my point of view I'm sitting there on the you know in the in the smog going oh bloody hell will this thing ever happen what am I even doing why am I wasting my time writing this shit when everyone says oh yeah wait till you're 40 and then you go I'm like well yeah that's another 20 years for me do you know what I mean I can't wait until I'm 40 so yeah it was really good I mean yeah I learned how to write in the process of that book but actually it was the time that I needed the award gave me time and that's uh, and options and if you're poor you ain't got any options and if you haven't got any time because you're having to work a job all the time in a shop or whatever you, you to focus on something and to actually give it the dedication that the words need you know so this was it was incredible yeah I'd learned to write writing Pleasureland and, and the document itself I look back on it I read a bit the other day actually I, I, it was very personal so I, uh, I hasten, you know I'm not good at looking back on it because it was quite about my childhood and this kind of stuff and uh, and it's quite hard to read actually because it's quite aggressive and but 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 the funny thing is I don't I look now at the bookshops and what's released and stuff and it's it's literary what I'm doing it's kind of literary stuff and it's it's not commercial really and so it's even harder but I look at the table in waterstones and I look at it as if it's I think Christ I can never do that I could never be on that table it's a really it's weird me. thing isn't it because I think that when you I think this when I when I was a you know stand up a little bit younger than you are now you know I started yeah. probably 21 years old um you keep thinking oh I know what I'm doing yeah and then yeah, you, yeah. I mean yeah. I, I've, I've just finished writing a a, a, a book which I, you know I know will still be within five years I'll be going oh why did I put that and why did I put that is it a novel uh, no this one is just I've only written short stories published short stories in terms of mm. uh, fiction um, but non-fiction it's, it's the third one of those I've done and and it was a real battle and like god mm. I just and I properly had that knocking your head against the wall not metaphorically physically yeah. trying to bash out the words from your brain you want and then I talk to other writers actual writers and they go oh I hate writing as well and you go ah oh, this is a nightmare and then now I've finished it and a few of my friends have read it and I've gone 
it's all right actually, it is all right. And I know that the moment I start writing the next one, I'll go, why can't I write a book like the last Absolutely. one? And you go, you fucking idiot, you spent the whole time thinking, why? Yeah, it's, it's agony. It the is process boring. is pure <laughs> agony. It really is awful. I mean, and I'm, uh, so I'm. Is it for physical cowards? Is it because we can't yeah. uh, necessarily, things like mountaineering and potholing are out? So instead of physical jeopardy, you go through the mental jeopardy of let me shame myself. Yeah, absolutely. Kill my ego. And the first draft, you know, the rule is the first draft is always abysmal to a point where it should never ever be read by anyone. Nobody reads my first drafts, but I hammer them out in stream of consciousness territory, and uh, and I and I just get it done. But the thing is, it is cowardly in a way because you're sitting there at your desk or whatever, and you're just thinking that this is worth something. It's so strange to think that an idea that I had in my head that I've now fleshed out to be the length of an entire story, that that is worth anyone's time and energy to put in it. But I suppose there's some unconscious bit of us that must believe that this is meaningful and somehow profound. Mm. I think it's tricky. What I found very weird is that I do job, you know, I'm here at Latitude, I'm meeting famous people. Famous, I've done stand-up like you. I did stand-up since I was 18 and started when I started doing stand-up and, and then all these other things have taken me away from that. And I was, you know, I'm working a normal job in the rest of the week at a bloody shop. And then I'm going and meeting Melvin Bragg. And it's, it's that thing that I can't, I can't get with, you know, because one day I'm sitting there stacking shelves and the next day I'm, I'm there talking about books and novels and meeting people or here meeting famous people, meeting you. Yeah, it's a very surreal, it's hard, it's like a split personality situation. I, so I, that's I, so I, confusing. I feel like that I've, all the time. You, you end up thinking, what am I doing sitting with this person who's had that level of achievement? And the, it's, 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 surreal, a, it? it's a lovely thing seeing Matt Haig, uh, yeah. his new book, where he just put out the other day just some of the images of... You know the the top shelf, all of these you know copies of his new book, yeah, Nervous yeah. Planet, and and it, and it didn't feel arrogant. It wasn't arrogant in any way. It really was. He said, "I can't believe that I, 15 years ago, you know, going through the mental health problems he was, mm. imagining the human being that he probably wasn't going to grow into, and now he has that moment, and I think he should bask in it." Well, it's incredible yeah. success he's had with that. Yeah. It's extraordinary, really. It's a great story. He, the thing I find on that uh, idea, I find it interesting that. Um, there's a feeling like everything I have and every story I have and every trauma and every piece of me is somehow monetizable. So there's a bit of me which is going, oh God, half of me thinks Matt Haig, that's so good success. The other half of me thinks, I wish I had something like that. Yes. I wish I could get a story like that together. And of course, I'm, I've had my own life and my own struggles and all that kind of stuff. It's trying to work out if you can turn that into a, a, a monetizable book. Yeah. So it's a very weird kind of slightly degrading... Pain worthy of your attention well I did a show actually a few years ago called My Pain is Better Than Your Pain and, uh, and that was all about that kind of idea so when are you hoping I mean where have you got to now I've just finished uh, I'm just dusting up actually over the next few months my full length novel which is called The Age of Flesh and is about our relationship with meat and skin and bone and flesh it's about war and uh, the conceit of it is what happens if children of war become adults of war if the war right. goes on so long that these children end up having to live within this and so all of our, our main characters and protagonists in the book are uh, living in a world in which a war has gone on for several hundred years and the meaning of the war has disappeared and um, and yeah and then something happens they, they, men are no longer required for soldiers uh, as soldiers so they've got something else as soldiers and so that's that's where our story takes off
the meat thing. Have you ever read a book uh, called Pornography of Meat, which is a look at uh, both the meat industry and the way that uh, women are uh, used in kind of advertising? And, and no, that sounds wonderful. Though it's I like the title. really interesting. Yeah, the uh, it's got some fascinating pictures where it kind of contrasts. Uh, the sexualized women images used to sell products and also the images of how to sell meat well, yeah I mean that's such a good that, that link is our, our, our relation, I think our relationship to meat is changing now though, isn't it you only have to go around this festival to see how many vegan yeah. meat stands have kind of mainstream priority and uh, and so I'm kind of playing on that in the book and it talks about a lot of that talks about vegetarianism and veganism and but you know in my own kind of twisted way but again, it's so bleak and brutal. I've just finished it and I'm looking at it going, this is the bleakest thing. Uh, and I'm supposedly meant to be funny sometimes. That's all right. You're, and I look at it and go, this is so dark. lucky man in a Russian, uh, <laughs> Russian gown is because you've got rid of your pain. Here's a good theory you'll enjoy. My girlfriend uh, thinks that, um, that because I use my imaginative power up during the day writing, because I have to hold the whole book in my head and because I, I suppose the book I've written is speculative and I'm dealing with a whole world and rules, she thinks that my, when I dream at night, my dreams are always really pedestrian. It's just me like getting on a bus or like going for dinner and hers are incredibly surreal still. So she thinks that I use up my imaginative juice kind of thing during the day. That would make you sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I was thinking about that the other day. I went to see a Freudian, and I chose a Freud. I don't know why, rather than a Jungian. And and when I've been reading about Jung, uh, he had a dream of God uh, shitting on uh, Basel Cathedral Wonderful. and uh, shattering it. And I never <laughs> have dreamed. I had a dream uh, after reading about that in which I walked on stage and then people who should normally be my audience weren't very keen, and then they just all disappeared. I've had that today, had for real. Out. So, uh, yeah, I had a similar experience. Well, I'll... I'll my dreams are all about Morrissey, meeting Morrissey at the oh, minute. Oh no. But actually since That's he, where you'd have to meet him exactly, now. Exactly, you know. Ugh. Since he endorsed the far right party for Britain, suddenly those dreams stopped. Do you know what? <laughs> you can have Patty Smith and Nick Cave in your dreams now. Oh, I'd love more that. often. I'd love that. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, you can now pre-order Robin's new book, I'm a Joke and So Are You. You can do that from all the usual websites or from your local independent bookshop, which is certainly uh, the option we would recommend. Uh, we're hoping to have some information uh, to give you about Robin's book this week and a uh, and its launch, its impending launch, but uh, we'll have to put that off until next week. So stay tuned for news about that. Uh, we should be able to let you know about that next week uh, when we will have a second episode from the Latitude Festival when we chat to uh, Dr Hannah Critchlow, Dr Michael Brooks, uh, Matt Haig and Jen Brister. Enjoy your week and we will be back next Thursday. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Trunkman Productions.